Okay, so we are several weeks into a series of messages in which we're talking about responding to the culture. We're looking at 1 Peter, which is a little letter from the Apostle Peter that's toward the back of the New Testament, and today we're in the back half of the second chapter of 1 Peter. Listen, the culture around us is shifting rapidly in directions that do not always suit us. How should we respond? I mean, we would like to be an influence on our culture. All of us would like to be influences on our culture. If you've seen a movie lately that you really like, well, you'd like to see more of those. You'd like to be an influence on your culture. If you've seen a movie lately that offends you, you'd like to see less of those. You'd like to be an influence on your culture. Are you a parent? You would love to influence your children. You'd even love to influence your children's friends. We want to be an influence on our culture. You're out of work, or you know someone who's out of work, you would like to have influence on the economy of our country. You'd like to influence the culture. All of us would like to influence our culture. So how do we respond? How do we influence the culture effectively? In the back half of the second chapter of 1 Peter, Peter jumps right into the middle of this question, and he gives us some profound direction, albeit sometimes difficult direction. What he really does is Peter gives us an attitude adjustment. So we need to be prepared for that this morning because we're going to hear Peter tinkering with our hearts. Now, before we read Peter, I want to make note of three big picture items, and I want to sink these in your heads if I can as we approach this topic and as we, as we approach this little passage of Scripture. First of all, Martin Luther once said that the word of a human being is a little thing. It flies into the air and it's gone. But the word of God is heavier than the heavens and the earth. It is eternally substantial. Peter's words here for us this morning are the word of God. Second, don't miss this. Don't snooze on this. We'll get back to this at the end today. But this is the sixth part in our series about responding to the culture. And we're only just now getting to something that's practical. Now, that should tell us something very important. Again, we'll get to that later. And third, Peter's practical message is going to be, I'm warning you in advance, it's going to be a bit disappointing. And it's going to be perhaps a little offensive to some of us unless we get a really clear sense of what's behind it. So this morning, we want to get behind what Peter is actually saying. We want to say what he's saying, but we also want to get behind it and look at some of the governing principles. So let's start by reading verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to look. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. I'm reading from the New International Version. There may be a word or two that's different than the text on the screen, and maybe yours as well, but it'll be easy for you to follow along. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Submit. So Peter wastes no time in getting right to the point. He's going to, to tell us throughout this entire section that our attitude toward the culture should be governed by proactive submission. Proactive submission. And this attitude should bear itself out in all of our actions. We submit to all forms of authority. 
But this isn't the passive nothingness of a limp rag. This is proactive submission. We submit ourselves. We bring ourselves subject to. This isn't weakness, but this is strength which chooses to submit itself. This submissiveness will be reflected in how we relate to the president of our company, how we talk about her or him, how we think about her or him, how we handle ourselves within the company. It will also be reflected in how we talk about the president of our country and how we think about him and how we reflect on him on Facebook or in conversations with friends, even in the hallway at Gateway. The word translated authority here is the Greek word katesis. It can mean authority, but it's sometimes translated, and I think maybe better here translated, institution. I like the English Standard Version translation of this verse. It says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The real kicker is the word every, isn't it? This is the Greek word passe. I thought this one needed a little work, so I looked it up in a good Greek-English dictionary, and there I found something really amazing. It means every. In other words, it does not matter whether the institution is Democrat or Republican. We are to submit for the Lord's sake. And why is that? Verse 15. Verse 15 says, For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. In effect, Peter is saying, look, it's crazy how you've been criticized and mischaracterized by the culture around you, so show them it's not true. By your proactive submission, silence them. This is why we are to be proactively submissive. We are to put the critics to rest. Because of this attitude, the cause of God's kingdom will be advanced. Verses 16 and 17. Live as free men. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. You are radically free because of the work that God has done in you. But don't use that freedom to your advantage. Don't use it to cover up or to justify yourself. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. The word used in... Verse 16 for slave is the word doulos. Here Peter presents the first guiding principle for everything he says in this passage. I'm going to read verse 16 again. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as doulos, as servants of God. Here's the first guiding principle for everything he's going to say in the rest of this passage and throughout the book of 1 Peter. We live and act the way we live and act because we are God's slaves. We have given up our rights. We are God's slaves. Remember that. Verse 18. Verse 18 says, Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now here the word slave is a different word. It's the word oikotai. It usually referred to house servants. So the modern parallel for us would be something like employer. Submit yourself to your employer. And, and this is very important. Look at the qualifier that Peter offers. Look at how he qualifies it. Wait, he, he doesn't qualify it at all. 
It doesn't matter whether she is good or whether she is harsh. Our job is to submit. Now, of course, this doesn't mean turn yourself into a dish rag and be a complete wimp. Peter's giving attitudinal direction. Proactive submission will look different on each one of us. But for each of us, our attitude in the workplace and toward all governing institutions should be characterized by proactive submission. Now, someone here is certainly asking, so what does that look like, Ed? And Peter doesn't answer that question. So neither will I. But here's my warning. Here's my warning. Sometimes when we ask a question like that, we're really looking for a way out. We're really looking to demonstrate how unworkable God's expectation is. Given my circumstance, you just don't know. If you and I really want to know what proactive submission looks like for us in our workplace or in relationship to our country, we can take that question into our relationship with God and ask him, and he'll be happy to give us direction. If we want a way out, if we want to prove to ourselves that ours is a situation that doesn't require proactive submission, then we will be at odds with God's word. And we will not be able to effectively relate to our culture. We may have short-term gains and feel better about our situation, but over the long term, we will be ineffective and we will be at odds with God's word. Let me read all of verses 18 through 25. There's an incredible, beautiful section here about Jesus. No surprise, and I'll explain why in a minute. Slaves, I repeat again. Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. This is the second critical guiding principle for everything Peter says in this passage. Secondly, we live and act the way we live and act with proactive submission because it's how Jesus lived and acted. And he set us an example. I want to read you this section from a transliteration of the Bible, which is a fancy word for it's not really a translation, but it's sort of a summary and it takes the best ideas and it's some person's interpretation, but it sticks as close to the words as it can. It's called the message. And it's a a beautiful rendering of the scripture if you're not familiar with it. I want you to hear the way he renders verses 18 through 25 of this section. Listen to this. You who are servants, be good servants to your masters. Not just to good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake, 
when you're treated badly for no good reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve, but if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that's what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited into. (laughs) Welcome. The kind of life Christ lived. Hey, look, he suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong. Not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going and now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. How gorgeous is that? Here's what's really going on. We're being asked to embrace a completely different perspective and way of operating. Jesus calls this new perspective the kingdom of God. So I want to show you a table this morning. Okay, I'm going to show you the first half of this table, and I think this is it. We're going to call this table the in his steps table. So you're going to look at the first side of that, and let's call that the cultural way. And what our culture often teaches us and imposes on us, encourages us in, is the way of demandingness and striving. Now, you're not always, look, your boss at work doesn't want you striving and internally always worried and got to be on top of everything and, and, and hyper and anal. They don't really want to do that to you but they reward it nonetheless because it looks like hard work. Demanding and striving suggests that we, and we we got seminars on these things. It suggests that we impose our will on others. This, in fact, for some folks, is the definition of leadership. How do I impose my will on the group? It means that we learn how to legislate our position. It means that we inform our opponent because it must be that they don't know. So we got to educate them. We give them more information. And it means sometimes that we help, but in our helping, we're going to help those poor unfortunates. We're not coming alongside, hey, I'm broken just like you, but we're condescending. We're going to help those less fortunate than us. This is the way of the culture. There's another way that Jesus calls the kingdom way. The way of the kingdom of God. And it is, no surprise, about submitting and serving. And in this way, we offer grace. We listen. We listen. Imagine that. Huh, that's an interesting idea. You know, why do you believe that? Tell me your story. We build relationships. We offer mercy. This is the way of the kingdom. I've used before an illustration for kind of big picture how to connect to the spiritual life, and I'm going to do it again now because it kind of relates to this. Imagine three different sort of models for how you connect to God, how you relate to him, how you build a relationship with him, and let's call one of them the rowboat model. And the rowboat model is working as hard as you can, and listen, you can bring this 
into your relationship with God, and you know you're doing it every time you're asking a question with deep intensity that you can't let go of, why did you do this, God? And what you mean is, I did everything right. I checked all the boxes. I knew how. I wasn't perfect, but right you said I didn't have to be perfect. I did it as good as I could. And now this, it's demanding. We're God's slaves. We gave up the right to demand. Striving. Rowboat spirituality. I got to get it right. I got to check every box. I got to do all the right stuff. Then there's, there's raft spirituality. And raft spirituality is chill out and do nothing. <laughs> right? And hope the current's going in the right direction. And unfortunately, it's usually not. But not your fault because you're chilling out on the raft. This is not God's way either. The kingdom way is, let's call it sailboat spirituality. Sometimes you're trimming sails, sometimes you're tacking, but you're totally dependent on the wind. And you know it. And you're looking, you're looking your fingers up, your faces forward, you're looking and listening and feeling for the wind. Because that's what makes you go. And you trust fully in the wind. Serving, submitting, proactive submission. Let me give you a title of a book you'll never see on the self-help section of Amazon. How to write a resume so your humility really shows through. <laughs> That's just not something our culture is going to promote. Moving from the cultural way to the kingdom way involves a complete reorientation of our mind and our heart. We move from time is money to relationship is what's of value. We move from, I did it my way, to in his steps. We move from, I've got to work as hard as I can, to I've got to trust as deeply as I can. So how do we even get started on this? How do we make this move? Look, if you and I want to understand how to relate to the culture effectively, you and I will have to first understand, don't miss this, that... We don't belong to this culture. We belong to another culture. We follow another way. That's why Peter repeatedly calls us aliens and strangers. So let's be honest and ask the most American of all questions right now. Is this new way effective? Does it work? Can we really get anything done following this way? We want to influence our culture, so can we really influence the culture around us if we practice proactive submission? I can't help but think of Jesus' life and teaching. For example, I think of what he said about leadership. Jesus said, hey, listen, the culture around you, they lead by forcing their way on one another. Leadership for them is about privilege and position. It's, It's about imposing their rights and their will but not so with you. With you, leadership is about service. In fact, with you, the last will be first. And by the way, this same Jesus created the largest and most impactful organization in human history. How's that for leadership? I'd say he knows something about effective leadership and about influencing the culture. Remember, I've said before, in the war between the Christians and the Romans, and there was a war... In the war between the Christians and the Romans, the ones without the swords won. 
And how did these first Christians impact their culture? This is another one. I'm sorry, there are several of these today. Don't miss this. Don't miss this next minute. How did these first Christians impact the culture? What means did they use? And we want to highlight this. We're talking about proactive submission now because that's what they did. That's what they carried into the culture. But I want to demonstrate for I want to remind all of us how far they carried proactive submission. They used the same means Jesus used. They were proactively submissive. And how did it end? Many of them died. I once heard John Piper say, if we want to reach the Muslim world, we will not drop bombs. We will drop our most talented and caring young minds and hearts. And they will serve, and many of them will be killed. This is the way of the kingdom. I told you this might be offensive. Let's add one more important note. This section highlights the third guiding principle for us, and the third guiding principle is we can live and act with proactive submission because Jesus has healed us. This is not a perspective that comes easily or naturally, this one, the kingdom perspective, but it comes freely and it gives us freedom when it comes because it comes through Jesus' healing touch. We don't have to be driven the way we used to be driven. We are driven by something entirely different now. We follow a different way, a righteous way. We follow the way of proactive submission, and we can do so because we're healed. Peter offers one final We can't leave without this. He offers one final relationship setting as an example for us to make sure we get this attitudinal adjustment. So he's talked about our relationship to all authority. He's talked about our relationship to employer and employee relationship. And he's going to cover one more critically important relationship just to make, as an example, just to make sure we get this idea of proactive submission. So hang on. Chapter 3 now, verse 1. Wives, Erin accused me all week, Erin's our children's director, she'll come up in a little while and make announcements for us, Erin accused me all week of every Mother's Day you tell moms to be barefoot and stay in the kitchen, which is absolutely not true, my wife would beat me up if I did that, y'all don't know, y'all think Diane's sweet, she's tough, however, we need to cover this section, wives, in the same way. Be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by seeing the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment such as braided hair, wearing of gold jewelry, fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. We'll continue to make sure we just add insult to injury and compliment the offense here. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I'm going to deal with it. Don't worry. Okay. Here's that crazy New Testament sexism, right? 
I mean, immediately we want some relief, don't we? So Ed, help. Tell me what word he uses here. The word we translate submission, that, what is that word exactly? There's got to be some other, other explanation here, right? And the answer is, it's exactly the same word he's used throughout the passage. If you look it up in the Greek-English dictionary, again, it will give you this definition. It will say, be submissive. And if you read further, it will say, to obey, to be subject to. <laughs> You're not helping, Ed. <laughs> so let me tell you three things on this Mother's Day that will help us understand this. Number one, I believe Peter is writing to a congregation that had a large number of women, particularly women who came without their husbands. This is why he spends so little time talking about husbands here. And he tells these women, secondly, that they should respond to the culture within their homes the same way he tells all of us that we should respond to the culture everywhere we go, with proactive submission. They should not be known for exhibiting the accoutrements of the culture around them, braided, braided hair, gold jewelry, fine clothes. They should instead be known for their reverence and purity. Then their husbands might be won over by their proactive submissiveness by their proactively submissive behavior. Okay, I have to say again, this does not mean that anyone is to be a limp rag. And proactive submissiveness will look different on every one of us depending on the circumstances. And sometimes, like love says no, sometimes proactive submissiveness says no. That can't happen. We're not going to do that. I will not be treated that way. But it's always done with an attitude of proactive submissiveness. It's not about imposing or legislating or condescending. I don't have time to talk about why Peter addresses husbands differently and why it seems to be so unfair to our ears. Look, the ironic thing about the criticism often leveled at this kind of passage is that it fails to comprehend just how far Peter is pushing the needle on this issue in exactly the opposite direction that our overly sensitive, politicized culture would suggest he's pushing it. He speaks so much more graciously and favorably and equitably toward women than his culture would dictate. It's hard for us to imagine. It's true that Peter does not go as far in this direction as many modern writers would go, but Remember this, it's not Peter's intention to impose an external, culturally revolutionary idea. He's not trying to create an external revolution. This is a revolution of the heart, person by person. This is a whole new way of thinking and relating. And the lead foot in this new way of thinking and relating is service and submission. Let me add something else at the risk of being unfair. So, forewarned. I have to say that the objection, well, that's just not fair. Hold on. I'm convinced that that objection is just not part of the vocabulary of the kingdom. That's more about demanding and informing. And the kingdom way is about serving and submitting. Remember, we gave up our rights. The kingdom way is about giving up our rights. We are slaves of God. 
Remember, Jesus was the one who, when insulted, did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but instead he entrusted himself to God's justice. It wasn't fair for him to bear my sin, but because he did, my righteousness has been secured. It wasn't fair for him to endure the wrath that I earned, but because he did, I've been healed, and I can literally walk in relational cleanness. So, we live and act with proactive submission because we are God's slaves. We live and act with proactive submission because Jesus lived and acted that way. We can live with proactive submission because Jesus has healed us. All right, let me end with one final note. I know you noticed how Peter launched into a devotional teaching about Jesus in the middle of this section. If you read it carefully, it seems almost out of place. He's talking about being submissive to all authority and all institutions and be submissive in your workplace and be submissive in the home. But in the middle of that, he's got this long diatribe about Jesus. Remember the three big picture assumptions we offered at the beginning of today? We said in the second one, we said we are in the sixth conversation in this series of messages, and we're only now beginning to get close to something real and practical. That's because one more, don't miss this. That's because Peter always gives doctrine before he gives practice. He always builds the how we live on the why and the what of our life. Paul does the same, and so does Jesus. And this gets us into trouble today. In our culture, doctrine is frowned upon. There are many today who would welcome following what has been called religionless Christianity. They think they admire Jesus, they just don't like Christian doctrine. Don't talk about doctrine, they say. That just divides people. It doesn't matter what people believe as long as they're sincere. Don't talk about God bringing justice and judging people. Many folks don't believe that anymore. Don't talk about Jesus as the key to our belief, the key to our healing, the the key to our access to God. Other people don't believe that, and and they're perfectly sincere in their belief. Don't talk about doctrine. But I have to say that that profession is both philosophically illogical and completely impractical. First of all, it's philosophically illogical because the proposition that we shouldn't talk about doctrine is itself a doctrine. Put another way, when you encourage me, for example, to try not to convert others, aren't you trying to convert me? You believe the doctrine that all doctrine is equally tenable and should be equally affirmed as true. You may be right, but that's a doctrinal statement. This represents a belief system. And the culture around us is quite aggressive in attempting to to convert us to this belief system. This is philosophically illogical and, frankly, hypocritical. I happen to believe this doctrine is not only wrong but dangerous. Secondly, I said that this idea that all doctrine is not only philosophically illogical, but it's also completely impractical. It's impractical because it doesn't work for us. And here's what I mean. When you know how you should respond, but you want to respond very differently, how do you do the right thing? When everything in you, you're at home and you're married and you are in the middle of a fierce argument with husband or wife, you want to respond like this. How do you respond like this? How? When you're driving on some northern Virginia highway and some idiot driver doesn't know what to do with a four-way stop and you want to respond like this. 
but you know you should respond like this. Or you're on 495 and some crazy person decides they want to cross three lanes at one time and you want to respond like this and not only blow your horn, but follow them for the next 10 miles blowing your horn. Don't ask Diane about my driving habits. <laughs> and you know you should respond like this. How do you respond like that? When your neighbor is frankly weird and offensive and you want to respond like this, or a teacher at school mistreats your child, and you want to respond like this, how do you respond? How do you respond like this? You don't respond appropriately just because you want to. You already know that. You need something burning within you Something that will on occasion flare into a flame that will help you do the right thing. You need to know that you should behave in this way and not another because Jesus behaved this way. You need doctrine. You need to know that you should behave in this way and not another because you are God's slave. You have given up your rights. You need to know, you need to feel within you that you can, be, you can behave this way and not another, because Jesus' wounds have healed you. They have cleaned you. They have set you free to be who God designed you to be. You need to know who you are and what has been done on your behalf so that your behavior can take wings and soar, so that your character can reflect the very life and character of God, and all of that so that you might declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So this week... My homework assignment, and I believe yours, broad, but you're going to have some specific application if you open your heart to it, is to examine our contexts, to see ourselves in our various contexts, and ask this week with a particular lens on ourselves and our behavior and our attitudes, are we reflecting proactive submission? Are we walking in the way of the kingdom or are we walking in the way of the culture? Even when we have to stand up for ourselves, are we doing it in the way of the kingdom or are we doing it in the way of the culture? Even if we have a, a bad boss who's sometimes harsh, even if we're going on behalf of those who are under us and interceding with our absolutely ridiculously terrible manager, are we doing that? Are we interceding? Peter has not told us not to intercede. But are we interceding in the way of the kingdom? Or are we interceding in the way of the culture? Because there's no option. There are no caveats. And there are no provisos. There are no circumstances under which you and I operate like that, no matter how much of an idiot that driver is. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard thing for us to get our minds around. Even accepting it, much less knowing practically how it works out in our lives. Now I pray, Lord, this week that you would work in us, that you would massage your truth into our hearts. We break open our chests to you this morning. We ask that you show us the ways in which we have been demanding the times in which heart and mind were striving 
You've told us not to strive, not to worry, but to seek first the kingdom and everything else would fall into place. Lord, we pray that for hearts that would serve you and your cause, submit fully to you and your cause, and then we have the sense that submitting to others would not be that difficult. We are your slaves this morning, and we commit ourselves to you wholly and fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, stand with us if you would, and let's wrap this up by singing. Okay, I'm sorry. We're not going to sing the second verse, but I want you to bring up the second verse, Will. I thought the second verse was the third verse. That's the one we need to sing, the third one. We'll get there, but hold on. Look at the second verse. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Isn't that beautiful? You know what's spectacular about that? That was written by a blind woman. How awesome is that? It was just fully submitted to God. All right, now that third verse. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I'm not striving. I don't have to strive. He's got it. All right, let's close by singing this verse and 